listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And for this episode, we will be discussing Black Sabbath's 10th studio album, Mob Rules. Released in November of 1981, this would be the second album to feature Ronnie James Deal on vocals and the first for drummer Vinnie Appice. The first steps towards the album would begin when the band would record a version of the song The Mob Rules for the soundtrack to the film Heavy Metal. The band would eventually work on the rest of the songs in a rented house in Los Angeles, at first attempting to record the album themselves in their own makeshift studio. When this returned less than desirable results, they eventually found themselves at the record plant in Los Angeles with producer Martin Birch. The end result was a crowning achievement featuring massive epics like Sign of the Southern Cross and Falling Off the Edge of the World, alongside heavy rockers like Voodoo, Slipping Away, Country Girl, and the Fist in the Air title track, The Mob Rules. The memorable album cover would match the heaviness of the music inside using a modified version of artist Craig Hildebrandt's piece entitled Dream One Crucifiers from 1971. The Mob Rules tour would begin on November 15, 1981 and end on August 31, 1982, which would sadly be the last shows with Dio and Apathy till the Dehumanizer album. Every song except Over and Over would be played at one point or another on the tour, with E5150 being their taped show intro. All right, here we are. The second uh, Dio album here in his first run with the band. So what are your memories and thoughts of the album Mob Rules, Darren? Uh, To take it back to my first exposure to this album. I mean, I, I, I certainly have my thoughts about it now, which I'll get to in a couple minutes, but to take it back to, to the beginning. Um, so shortly before this album was released, uh, Black Sabbath recorded a version of Mob Rules that was for the movie Heavy Metal, which was an animated movie. I'm sure most people, most of our listeners know what. But for those that don't, uh, it's an animated movie that is um, adapted from the graphic comic book uh, of the 70s and 80s. You can find it in most of the newsstands. It was pretty popular, called Heavy Metal. And uh, so this full-length feature movie came out in 1981, and my friends and I <clears throat> really wanted to see it, just look cool. Um, but of course, it was rated R. We were only about 12 or 13. So the challenge was to find somebody to take us to see it. Parent, old brother, sister, we, we finally got a ride. We saw the movie and the song Mob Rules. I mean, I knew Black Sabbath was on the soundtrack, but really, to be honest, it didn't really excite me because it wasn't really still up to this point. It really wasn't my Black Sabbath, my Black Sabbath, the era 
the Black Sabbath that I was most fond of, of course, was, was the Ozzy Black Sabbath. I just got started getting into or accepting the sound of the Heaven and Hell album, and I liked it, but I wasn't fully converted yet, or at least I wasn't fully on board. So I, mean, I, I knew they were on the soundtrack, but I, I wasn't really that excited about it. I, it wasn't the reason I, I wanted to see the movie. The movie just looked cool, and it had a cool soundtrack all around so but anyway during the course of the movie that i remember i still remember the scene when mob rules comes on and it just was like wow <laughs> what a heavy awesome song so uh, i mean it was it was definitely the it's definitely the highlight of the soundtrack for me um and in a lot of ways it was also the highlight of the movie so post movie uh the album hadn't come out yet uh but it was going to be released very soon so I was excited. I knew I've, I've already heard one song that was going to be on it. So I kind of had an idea what to expect. And I was looking forward to that. When it did come out, I didn't get it right away. Um, I remember I was with my mom. We were at Kmart, I believe. And I was allowed to buy one album. And that was the album I wanted to get. So I was looking around for it. There was a record section. I looked through the records and there was We Sold Our Souls for Rock and Roll. There was Paranoid, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, but no mob rules. So I looked at the cassettes, couldn't find it on cassette. Uh, the only format I could find it on was 8-track. I did have an 8-track player. It was one of those combo stereo units with a cassette, 8-track, turntable. Basically accommodated any format you you could have at that point in time. So a track was an option. And this was my first a track. I wasn't really familiar with them, but I wanted to get it and I knew I could play it. So I, I bought it on a track, took it home, put it in and kicked back. And right away, I mean, it just came roaring out of the speakers. Uh, I noticed right off the bat that it sounded a lot heavier. There was more low end, uh, just bass here that that was my initial impression was it was really bassy in fact I, I think now that I that I think about it I I remember that anytime I listened to that I had to adjust my my EQ I had to make turn the bass down a little bit turn the treble up but it was really really heavy uh Dio's voice sounded ferocious um it was easily the heaviest album definitely the heaviest album I had and it was Probably easy, easily the easiest or the, the heaviest album that I heard up to that point. So it was a little bit of a challenge, but it was one that I accepted and I, I grew really, really fond of. Uh, the more I listened to it, the more I got the songs in my head, the uh, more memorable it was, the more I looked forward to coming home and playing it. It still didn't take the place of Oz. Yeah, I mean, I would still revisit Diary of a Madman or Blizzard of Oz probably about five to one but as far as a black sabbath without ozzy it was a big leap forward for me and as so far as accepting black sabbath without ozzy so uh whereas i i really liked heaven and hell i can honestly say that i i loved mob rules and uh and that was that was then that was the time of release or shortly thereafter now i mean i my attitude toward it is I consider it the 
ultimate heavy metal album. I think it has all, all the touchstones, all the earmarks that a great heavy metal album should have. It has highs and lows, it's peaks and valleys. It's heavy, soft. It, it has a lot of those things that need to happen in order to make an album great. All those emotions, all those expressions, they're all in this album. In addition to that, it just totally exemplifies the spirit of heavy metal and heaviness in just the way that it sounds. It just, and I mean, there's been a couple remasters of it, but I mean, I can still go back to the very, the original master and still be blown away by how heavy it is. Anything that's come out since then, since that release in the form of a, of a remaster is, is sort of like, Okay, yeah, you made it a little heavier, but it's already a monster to begin with. Uh, so my attitude, I, I only get more fond of it as, as time goes on. Um, and uh, yeah, I, it's, it's probably of any era of, uh, other than Ozzy, we're talking Tony Martin era, uh, certainly the album that Ian Gillen's on, any other album with Dio, this is the my favorite, and I would consider it the best post-Ozzy Black Sabbath record. Hands down, there's no question about it. In fact, this one actually, this cracks my top five. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that's saying something, <laughs> at least for me as an Ozzy fan. I mean, I've always been, you know, I, the Ozzy era is, is, is where my heart is, uh, but this one is just so good. I mean, it, it cannot be denied that it's, it's way up there uh, at the top for me. How about you? What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I agree with uh, a lot of this stuff that, uh, that you said there. This is for sure one of the greatest uh, heavy metal albums of all time. And I remember when I first heard this, uh, like you, this, this was... And I had a, I had, I don't think I had all the Ozzy Sabbath stuff yet, uh, but this was just a different kind of heaviness on this record. Like you said, the guitars were really heavy. The bass was real big sounding. Uh, Vinny Apice immediately, you know, jumps out at me. His style of drumming, he has a very unique drum sound that. It's just, there's very few drummers. I'm not a drummer, but there's very few drummers that I can tell who they are, who have a unique drum sound. And Vinny Apice is one of those guys. And the way he does his fills, it just, it makes everything sound bigger and heavier. <laughs> the way his drumming is, whereas Bill Ward was a little bit more jazzy and everything. Yeah. Vinny Apice is just more like, and I think I remember Martin Popoff describing his style of drum, drumming once as like throwing boulders. You know, that's what I think of with Vinny Apice when he does a drum fill. It's like somebody throwing boulders, you know, it's just massive. So that was my impression when I first heard it. Now, to backtrack a little, it's funny, I 
the first time I, I saw it, and I've mentioned this before, that I grew up in a rural area. I didn't have access to magazines early on. So the way I discovered things was just walking into a store and going, oh, wow, Black Sabbath has a new album out, <laughs> you know. And we went to some place like did you wouldn't expect there to be records like a Sears or something like that. And for those who, who are too young to remember this, there was a time when places like Sears and Macy's, they might have a little section where they had records. So I was there with my dad. I can still remember this place. We came out of the parking garage. We had to go down a couple steps to go into sort of like a basement, like lower area of the store. And we walked in and there were records on the right-hand side and right there, right in the front there for Black Sabbath was Mob Rules. And I remember seeing the cover and just being like, wow, this like, holy cow, this, this looks really, I was taken aback by the cover. It looked really heavy. I remember being taken aback by it enough that I, I didn't dare ask my, my parents to buy it for me right there. I had, I think, either get it through the record club or next time I was at the mall and I was able to get it on cassette and put it in my pocket or something, you know. But like I mentioned earlier, when I put it on, I was just taken aback by the heaviness of it, by... This has some of my favorite Ronnie James Dio vocal performances on this. Uh, it's kind of funny history. This album sometimes feels a little overshadowed by heaven and hell when you're reading the history books, when you're, when you're seeing uh, people list their favorite Black Sabbath albums. It's, it, it seems to be the thing to do to list heaven and hell a little bit higher than Mob Rules. Yeah. And I think part of that is, is that Heaven and Hell was a big statement, new singer, uh, the title track, the song Heaven and Hell is one of the greatest heavy metal songs of all time. It's, it's, it's just an epic anthem. Uh, but, you know, when, when you're, I think when Sabbath fans are sitting around amongst themselves late at night after a few beers, they admit that Mob Rules is really the better album. When you stack them up pound for pound, you know, there is no weak songs on Mob Rules, whereas on Heaven and Hell, some of this stuff like Walk Away, you know, was a little like, I mean, I liked it, but Mob Rules was just from top to bottom. By the time I got Mob Rules, I was starting to get into like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. So Mob Rules felt like okay this really this this is uh this is in the weight class of british steel and you know number of the beast or killers or whatever you know iron maiden album i had at that yeah. time it was able to hang hang with those and uh it's an album that just as as time has gone on uh, i never tire of it i don't think that there's a weak moment on it i love the production iomi's guitar the super heavy bass. And again, just uh, this has some of my favorite Ronnie James Dio vocal performances. And as you know, you mentioned Ozzy earlier, and of course I was a huge Ozzy fan. And I was really into, you know, that dramatic nature of like Revelation Mother Earth or the song Diary of a Madman, that epic, dramatic, somewhat classical feeling thing. And 
songs like Sign of the Southern Cross or Falling Off the Edge of the World, they just had that big grand thing to them. And the way Dio's uh, vocal delivery on that stuff is, is just, uh, is just fantastic. So it's an album that's, that's, that's aged very, very uh, well for me. And I think that it's, it stands up, uh, you know, it is, it has stood the test of time. And like you said, if, if, uh, if, if someone's if someone told me they felt it was the greatest metal album of all time i, I wouldn't argue with them because it's just that would be me yep <laughs> that would be me and i wouldn't argue with you i would i would agree that it's 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 certainly it, it it's just a fantastic album yeah uh you know it's, it's funny because when you think about it mob rules is like heaven and hell on steroids um, the way that it starts, the first song, Turn Up the Night, it's kind of similar to Neon Nights. You know, it's, a, it's like a fist pounder, call to arms. It gets things kicked off in pretty much the same spirit as Heaven and Hell. Um, I guess the only thing that, and you know, I mean, I, I think when you go track to track, which I'm sure we will in a few minutes, almost every song, on heaven and hell is sort of represented by a song on mob rules and 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 some in, in some way uh close enough and uh but whereas mob rules always seem to or heaven and hell i'm sorry always seem to me to be a transitional album where it's going from the ozzy era uh to little things didn't leave off so well Never Say Die wasn't wasn't a very successful album. I mean, there's people, I mean, it, to, to some people it has aged really well. Um, others, it, it hasn't. But at the time, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a very successful album for Black Sabbath. And we went all through this when we did the history of Heaven and Hell. So the result of, of Heaven and Hell, to me, always seemed like a, a, a transitional album. We had a new singer. Um, the band is integrating the new singer. The new singer's kind of trying to feel his way through things, trying to find out, figure out how he fits in. It works. They know what to do on the next album, which takes us to Mob Rules. Now they're, whereas Geezer was initially not really a part of Heaven and Hell, but then jumped on towards the latter half. Now he's with Black Sabbath from the beginning of Mob Rules. Uh, the writing is now taking place with all the members. Dio's role, however, is more, it's, it's different. It changes the dynamic of the band. Whereas as before you'd have Bill and Ozzy were sort of more, a little bit more laid back. They were, for lack of a better word, maybe a little bit more subservient to Geezer and Tony who pretty much did most of the heavy lifting now you've got the singer ronnie james dio who is very assertive uh very involved he can write music he's definitely involved in writing the lyrics uh which i don't think really disappointed geezer i, I think that by the time that we got through never say die you know geezer sort of felt a little bit put upon like it was it was his thing to do whether he wanted to or not. It wasn't so much all the time from inspiration. It was more of necessity. But now 
he was working with Ronnie and, and Ronnie is a great lyricist and he's also capable of writing music and he hits it off really well with, with Tony. Um, and the two of them work well together. Going into, like I say, going into Mob Rules, I mean, we had all four, well, actually we had, we had three members and, and Vinny contributed too. Uh, can't leave him out. He was involved. Uh, there was a little bit with with Tony and Geezer, from what I understand, there was a little bit of apprehension initially with Vinny. Vinny joined pretty much because Bill quit. <laughs> Bill quit, uh, I think it was a few days before show in Honolulu. Uh, they had two days to practice. Uh, Dio knew, knew Vinny. Vinny came in. They had two days to rehearse. He played the show. Then off they went. He, he did great. He learned the songs quickly. He was a fan of Black Sabbath. He was familiar with the songs. Uh, his style was different from Bill's, and I don't think it was the style that ended up on Mob Rules initially. Uh, Vinny, Vinny started off, you know, he's, his, main, his main gig prior to Sabbath was, was playing in Derringer. And I don't know if you have the two Derringer albums that he played on, but the second one is called Sweet Evil, I think. Yeah. I have to look. yeah. Um, it's a little bit more jazzy a little bit more uh funky in some in some aspects uh which lends itself to the way that rick derringer played so that was basically the style that that he had been that was his style that he'd been playing with 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 derringer he brought that over and uh i mean i think it was geezer that was a little bit kind of like wait a minute what this is this is weird this this doesn't feel right so he wasn't really comfortable with Vinny's style coming from where he was playing or how he was playing in Derringer. So they kind of had him maybe, I don't want to say dumb it down a little bit, but maybe simplify his approach so that it was a little bit more similar to Bill's and it would kind of fit in the context of, of Black Sabbath and, 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 the, and the way that they were used to hearing drum sound. So he sort of tailored his, his style for the gig in Sabbath. And I, I think that's where a lot of this big, heavy mammoth fills comes from. He, he basically like put his playing through a filter and it was concentrated. The fills are heavy. They're minimalistic a lot of the time, but they're so effective. And when you take into consideration, you know, the production value of the bass, the warmth, the guitar tone, uh, the way that Dio's vocals come in in an aggressive way, more aggressive to my ears than, than heaven and hell, it all fits together and he adapted really well. But, and, and like we mentioned with heaven and hell, when, when Bill was, was playing, we noticed that it, you had to really listen for what Bill was doing. And there were some songs where he really, you could tell he really connected with the music. And when he did, you could, hear what he was doing and it, it would catch your ear but you had to listen to it because it was a little bit low in the mix and and you can also tell when bill maybe wasn't really that into the song because he just sort of like coasted through it the songs that he did connect with you could hear in his playing but overall the production was really polite when it came to bill's drums on this maybe martin birch just went in uh with a little bit more experience uh maybe a little bit more forethought as to how to approach 
producing Black Sabbath, but the way that Vinny's drums sound on this album are remarkably different from the way Bill's drums sound on Heaven and Hell. And I think that really makes a difference, not just from a drummer's perspective, but I think overall the heaviness factor is, is definitely amped up because of the, the loudness, the fullness of the drums. So when I started out by saying it's like heaven and hell on steroids, that that's kind of what I mean. It, it, it's like song for song, there are similarities and context, but the way the album sounds, it's like there's a more, it sounds more confident, it sounds more integrated, and the production follows suit with that. Production sounds like Martin Birch kind of went into this situation saying, okay, I know what I did last time. I have some ideas. I know what I'm going to do this time. This album will be better. And that, that's sort of what I think what's conveyed when I listen to the album. To me, yeah, anyway, to my ears. It, yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds like a band that they've got a tour under their belts. They, they know each other much better. You know, I think on Heaven and Hell, there were probably well, we know that there were, that there were bits and pieces of things that they had started originally intended to be worked with Ozzy. Uh, yeah. Then Ronnie comes into the picture for Heaven and Hell. Geezer is out for the majority of the writing session. Uh, Bill is dealing with uh, alcohol issues as well as grappling with Ozzy not being in the band. So maybe Bill wasn't as engaged as he normally would. So it really put heaven and hell mostly between Tony and Ronnie. Now, after they have a tour under their belt there and they know each other better. And from what I've read that this, uh, the Mob Rules album was, was uh, worked up more in a live setting like they were just yeah. all in the room they were all playing together jamming on riffs and that's how that album came about and it's also I think Dio I think Dio stretches out I think Dio really comes into himself on this record the Dio that we would know from his solo band from this point out you know when he was in rainbow of course he's he's amazing when he's in he's in rainbow but he's still part of it you still hear a little bit of elf in there which for those yeah. who don't know is was ronnie's band before rainbow was stuff like if you don't like rock and roll and things like that and on the heaven and hell album you know i always thought a song like walk away or lady evil could have been a rainbow song you know, it, that throws back a little bit too, but it really feels like on Mob Rules, like Ronnie just really, his vision of who he is really becomes crystallized and it yeah. really comes out in, in a lot of these songs. And, and you make a good point about this album, if you sort of line them up track by track, Neon Nights, uh, Turn Up the Night. Uh, Sign of the Southern Cross, Children of the Sea, they both start with like an acoustic guitar thing. Uh, over and over ends the album with a similar feel to Lonely is the Word. So yeah, there's a lot of like, you can make a lot of uh, comparisons between the two. But like you said, it just feels like a way more confident record. Martin Birch, this is his second album with the band. And uh, although I wouldn't say the production is radically different than Heaven and Hell or anything, it just, it's just sounds beefier. It sounds bigger. Maybe it's, 
geezer being in being involved from the beginning with with the whole thing Vinnie Appice's style of drumming like you mentioned contributes to the heaviness and you know there felt like there was a uh even in the album covers like heaven and hell to mob rules this sort of artwork style album cover whereas before this sabbath always had these there was there was never really much continuity between the Black Sabbath album covers when Ozzy was in the band. They were sort of all over the place. You had yeah. your hypnosis, technical ecstasy, and never say die. You had your great artwork for like Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. You had your weird covers like Paranoid. And, you know, so Sabbath was kind of like all, all over the map with their album covers, as much as I love a lot of the Ozzy era album covers. But these two sort of, they, they, they sort of fit together from not only with musically them being in the neck another step but the album covers you know I don't know feel in a same sort of epic like uh, vibe to them or something uh, so yeah I, I agree with you it's just it's a band that uh, you know taking taking a big step forward and and for me I, I think too it's it's Iomi and I'm sure Geezer too realized, and they've taught, they talked about this with heaven and hell where they started to realize like, wow, we can do things that we couldn't do before. Ronnie is able to do things that, you know, we, we do, we weren't able to do with Ozzy and, and I maybe going into the writing session for mob rules that, that, you know, the, the whole band just seems to step up their whole game. Iomi has just killer, killer riffs all over the yeah. record, as he always does. But I mean, these some of these are just like, wow, he's got some great, great soloing on it. You know, I'm thinking of like over and over and, you know, Sign of the Southern Cross, and Falling yeah. Off the Edge of the World, Geezer's playing is for anybody who doubts you know we talked about this in the heaven and hell episode the whole Greg gruber uh did did he play bass on heaven and hell or did geezer well listen to geezer's playing on mob rules and you'll hear how you know he's very busy he's all over geezer was certainly capable of playing those bass lines on heaven and hell and and, and you can hear some similarities between you know between some of the some of the base stuff but it just seems like everybody just stepped up their game and it's it just came out you know just a really powerful solid solid album yeah i mean un unfortunately the, the this lineup was was short-lived and it was i think initially there was a lot of a lot of excitement about it because here they are they're starting over again. They're basically reinventing the band. They have a more than capable singer that's coming in. He's excited. He's confident. He's assertive. Um, it, I think it gave the situation a lot of security to have Dio on board. And I think initially it was a great thing to have. As the confidence was established and the success started to follow, then maybe the confidence, the personality that was initially very welcomed started to kind of wear thin. And I think that there was a bit of a conflict between Geezer and Ronnie. And Ronnie's not necessarily a stranger to having a conflict or a personality clash with, with certain members of bands that he's been in before. 
it seems to me based on the evidence and, and what I've read that Ronnie you either love him or you hate him. He is there. He makes his presence known. He is confident. Um, he's not necessarily rude, but he will let you know what he considers his value to be and he can deliver. But I think with an English band and you have an American that just has a different type of manner, a different personality, and you have English people, at least in this particular situation, who are a little bit more reserved. And plus, they also have a lot of years together as the band Black Sabbath. Then you have Ronnie that, that came in, and no question about it, he was the guy they needed at the time they needed him. And he did everything that you could hope for in a, in a new lead singer. And we talked about that. You know, you couldn't just have a guy that could sing well. You had to have a guy that had the confidence to pull it off, the guy that could go out there, not try to sound like the former singer, but have enough talent and ability to be able to sound different and reinvent the band and take them from a place where they weren't doing so well and lift them to a higher level. And, and that's what Ronnie did and full credit for that. But I think when Ronnie started to really, after that whole thing was okay, we get it. You did this much appreciated, you know, let's try to find, let's try to find our, our place and how we work together. Let, let's try to get, on an even keel, everybody. And I don't think Ronnie ever stopped congratulating himself or stopped um, recognizing in himself the fact that he was now the main part of Black Sabbath. And yeah. and there are some people that would, would argue that, you know, would, would go along with that. Well, like, yeah. And even to this day, some people say, though I would much, much prefer, I, I would much rather hear the Dio era of Black Sabbath and the Ozzy yeah. era. Yeah. A far superior singer or frontman, and, and and they're not wrong. Um, and I and I think there was Dia was was well aware of that, and I don't think he was shy about it. And I think that that kind of rubbed geezer the wrong way. And and from Ronnie's perspective, he sort of saw things as they began to kind of settle down or settle into a situation, he could kind of see some of the negativity that was with certain members. And of course, by this time, we only had two members that were left and that was Tony and Geezer. And there was a little bit of negativity uh, from his perspective, from how he saw things, at least what he would consider negativity because it didn't quite match his enthusiasm or his confidence. And that could come simply down to just a personality conflict. But ultimately, when you have things like this involved, it is gonna put a strain on the creative relationship. And I think by, the time that this album was recorded um, and it was produced and it was released and they started to tour, there was already starting to, there, there were some cracks, cracks start to form. Um, and as if we do go on to Live Evil, and I, I think we probably are, that's when it really, that's when things come to a head. But in and around this, this album, it, it, it's sort of, it, it's kind of funny because you know, you can look at this album as a great uh, progression from heaven and hell and a celebration of sorts of a, of a band 
leaving its past behind and coming into its own, its own new identity. And, and there's a lot of excitement with that. And you can also look at it from the, from the sense that, well, here they are, and it's already starting to fall apart and they're really doing well, you know, <laughs> why? You know, what's the problem here? Is it with the, the, the you know, Tony and Geezer? Is it with Dio? What's what's happening here? And you might be inclined to think that, hey, maybe this is the second singer now. And there's like a little bit of uh, unrest in the camp. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's the other guys. Maybe it's not, <laughs> the singer, you know, I, I, who knows? We're not in it. Yeah. You know, we, we don't know. We weren't there when it was being recorded. Uh, but I think we can sort of put connect the dots and see based on the personalities that, Ronnie would be somebody that I could easily see you either love him or you hate him. You know, you either really respect his confidence and his assertiveness. And there's every reason to, to respect it because he, he does pull it off. I mean, he's, he's not just, he's not bragging. I mean, he's just not like blowing smoke. I mean, this guy, you know, he walks the walk and I mean, he talks to talk, but he walks the walk and he's, he's got it all to back everything he says up. So uh, yeah. You know, the proof is in what he can do. But uh, ultimately, it probably comes down to some personality issues. And it's a shame because uh, the band is really riding high. You know? Yeah. And, you know, if, if you hear Ronnie, uh, when Ronnie would talk about it, he mentions and, you know, we'll get into this more with Live Evil. But uh, that when Vinny came into the band, uh, Ronnie and Vinny, two Americans, two New Yorkers, and that immediately yeah. split the camp into Tony and Geezer and Ronnie and Vinny, sure. and it just sort of, and, you know, again, the dynamic in the band when Ozzy was there, it, it, it changed a lot with Ronnie, and like you mentioned, Ronnie is, is a very knowledgeable assertive confident singer and and ronnie was somebody that i mean tony talks about how and geezer talk about how when they first met him ronnie would say things like uh, don't play that chord there play this chord and you know they were so amazed by this because ozzy never did something like that and I'm sure in the beginning, no, that was probably something that they were like, wow, this is great. This guy, you know, can yeah. sit here. But then, you know, maybe it started to, to, to wear on everybody. And but for the time being, it's, you know, it, it, it seems to you know, sometimes. And, and if you listen to if you read interviews with Ronnie, he even so he always says that heaven and hell is his favorite, you know, Black Sabbath album, because he mentions that the tensions were starting to, to show themselves with, to when they were starting to work on mob rules, it was already starting to just little, little things, you know, and, uh, but at this point, it's still, it's, it's certainly, it's working. <laughs> at yeah, this point, there might be a little tension, but it's, it's coming, it's yeah. making the music better. Certainly, yeah. Maybe they're pushing each other. And the way I see it and feel it is, is that maybe it was pushing, you know, everybody to Ronnie is so upping his game. Ronnie is, you know, so upping his game that it causes everybody else to be like, all right, man, I got to really, I got to step up to the plate here and I got to, you know, elevate my playing to match his to his over dramatic you know over the top incredible yeah. amazing singing and so 
at this point it's working. Unfortunately, it wouldn't work for <laughs> much, much longer after this, but there's clearly a chemistry, you know, like we say when, with the Ozzy, Bill and Tony Geezer era, there was a chemistry there. There was, there was a certain unique chemistry here too with, you know, with Ronnie and the band. Yeah, I, I think what, what started off as a blessing became a curse <laughs> with regard to Ronnie. Um, and all the things that you know wow this guy's great you know he can do all this stuff i mean it makes it so much easier and he's good and then it's like you know i, I wish he didn't do so much i wish we had more control of things the way that we did before um you know so initially it being a blessing considering the circumstances at the time but after success was established and and they had a, a pretty good footing on things it was probably like wow i wish we could go back to the way things were where we had more autonomy where we could actually call more of the shots but you know and of course the fact that heaven and hell was so successful only gave ronnie even more credibility and more <laughs> service, you know look man i did this before i I'm, i know what i'm doing and who could argue that um so there was something else i was going to say um with, 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 we were talking about how, were you to your point about uh, Ronnie and, and Vinny being the Americans and the camp was sort of split in half. So there was a little bit probably of a, of a, of a disconnect there, perhaps. The other thing is, and I think that this was the undercurrent behind all of this. And maybe this is one of the reasons why there was a little bit of a negative focus, um, if there was one towards Ronnie. When Heaven and Hell did really well, they renewed their contract with Warner Brothers. At that time, they also signed Dio into a contract for a solo album. And they didn't know that. And it was sort of on the down low. They found out. And it was like, well, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there was any kind of exclusivity uh, to uh, Ray, or Ronnie's place in sabbath i don't think there was anything established where he couldn't do anything but i think it was almost a given like well why would you why would you need to do that why you know you're in the band yeah. I mean, we want you to put 100 percent. we want you to put all of your time and creativity and your ideas and everything into black sabbath here i mean are we going to get you know from from this point on are we going are you going to save the good stuff for your solo career for your solo album are we going to get you know the leftovers or yeah. how is this going to work out it definitely raises some some weird feelings and i i you know i i can sort of agree with that i i would i would be curious i'm like well i mean what 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 does he really have going on i mean i i'd love to hear what he's working on for a solo yeah. album better than what he's bringing to the band you know so i think once that was you know, when the jig was up with regard to that, I, I think that was like, that, that kind of left a mark. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that for sure, that, you know, maybe Dio was becoming bigger than Black Sabbath. You know, he was, he was such a powerful singer and everything that, you know, he was sort of growing, maybe that was their worry, that he would grow bigger than, you know, than, than Black Sabbath, and then just is he just using this as a stepping stone to a solo career? You know, that's yeah. maybe what was. Yeah. And, and maybe he was, I mean, if he felt like he, he was in a situation where he can invest all of his creativity, why would he need a solo, solo album? Why would he need to do, 
something i mean was it to yeah. work with other musicians was it to have like just just ronnie and then you know guest musicians on one track you know this guitar player uh, revolving members and things like that no i mean when when dio left sabbath i mean he put a band together and took vinnie with him so i mean yeah you know to your point about there being like sort of an alliance between dio and vinnie and then you had on the other side of the coin you had uh geezer and tony who were like you know hey we've been black sabbath since 1969 uh you know this is our band you know welcome to it you know we'll gladly share it with you but you know hey you know this is our territory this is is our home base um yeah you know you can see how that you know it would sort of be a, a strange dynamic and and it was unfortunately yeah all right, well, let's jump into the songs. So it starts off with Turn Up the Night. And like we mentioned earlier, this is a real similar feel to Neon Nights. It just kind of comes blasting out at the speakers at you. Uh, Vinny's open hi-hat count in there, and it just comes rumbling, I think is a good word to describe the heavy, heavy riffing in this. Uh, cool chorus oh, yeah. to it. I always thought I'd be Iomi's solo in this, sort of the wah-wah. Uh, his wah-wah solo in it is is really cool and it's just a super heavy uh driving number that sort of just comes crashing you know yeah, a yeah, bull in a china shop come barreling you know out of the out of the gate yeah super album opener like i said um you know there's some similarities between this and neon nights but this album like like you said when you know, it starts the poor count on the hi-hat and it's open hi-hat like and then it just comes in with the guitar and the bass are so well uh integrated it's like boom, just like a, yeah, it's a heavy you know and it's just wow i mean it just gets your adrenaline pumping it still does man I, I i still get a charge out when i first put this album on it the volume's like you know just the right spot and it comes comes kicking in man it it it, it still gives me the chills i mean I, it's heavy you know i mean 1981 2021 hey it's heavy as anything if not more so you know but uh yeah what a great album opener gets things gets things charged up right off the bat all right then voodoo i always loved the guitar intro to this and the guitar sound in general on the whole record i always like rhythm guitar sound it has a nice like it's not, it's a little uh, like upper mid range. It's very like, uh, it's very there, you know? And I think this opening sort of riff here, it's almost like a bluesy uh, type of riff and uh, Geezer's bass here. He's doing this sort of like line with like these fills underneath it. And the, the lyrics are Ronnie, you know, singing about this kind of, these kind of topics is he is his comfort zone if you will where he he does really well and i just always love the uh the groove on this and uh and if a stranger please you don't let him whisper his name you know it's just a great uh catchy yeah. song and the feel of it is just it's just awesome yeah so there's two songs on this album that are my favorite and this is one of them. In fact, this is this is probably number one. We'll get to number two when we get on side two. But um, 
I love this song. I love the riff. It's one of my favorite Iomi riffs. Uh, the tone, like you mentioned, is is just incredible. It's really warm. It's just kind of, you can feel it in your gut. I think it's probably the most successful tone Tony has had up to this point. Yeah, I would agree um, with that. You know, it just really, it really makes the song. I mean, the song itself, the melody, uh, the arrangement, everything about the song is is perfect. You, you couldn't ask for anything better. But when you add in, you know, the, the elements of how the instruments sound, you put that in there, man, it just just makes it perfect. And uh, I, I love this song. I love the way Dio sings it. I love the melodies. I love the variation in his voice. Um, here again, one of those songs where Dio really uh, demonstrates what he's capable of doing, you know, um, he doesn't go full aggressive like he will on other songs just yet, but there it starts out, you know, he's got a confident swagger in the verses, kicks it back a little bit for the chorus, the bridge, a little bit more mellow, but there's, there's a lot of dynamics in his voice and it really suits the structure of the song, um, the mel the various melodies that, that are incorporated in it. It's a great song, um, you know, from riff to arrangement to, to just the mechanics of the song. It's just, I love it. It's it's my favorite song off of Marvels. Like I've just decided it's <laughs> of the two. This is number one. It is my favorite. So I'm going through it in my head, and I'm like, yeah, man, this is awesome. And I, you know, I if I'm driving around in a car, and this song, I'm mean, listening to my iPod or something, and and this song comes on, there is never a time I don't welcome hearing it. I mean, I'm just going to reach for that volume knob and crank it up. Awesome, man, for sure. Yeah. And I love uh, Tony's lead sound, too, on the whole record. But in this one, you know, especially has a real sort of cutting, like, uh, lead tone that just jumps yeah. right out of the speakers at you. It's just great. All right, next is probably my favorite song on the record. One of my favorite Dio performances, one of uh, my favorite Sabbath songs. The sign of the Southern Cross. Uh, this song is just so epic. Absolutely. The intro uh, is, is the guitar intro and the way Ronnie sings those opening lines and like that softer voice, you know, if there isn't light when no one sees, then how can I know what you might believe? It's just great. And when it kicks in, boom, those big chords. And this is Vinnie Apice at his best, you know, again, throwing boulders, you know, just, at, uh, he's a mountain, you know, and his drums, and it's just a simple, you know, boom, crack, but it is yeah. just the biggest, like, bass and snare sound. And For Geezer sure, has man. that low bass where he's like, has the effect on the bass where it's doing a, like, you know, wobbly, like bass sound yeah, underneath yeah. it. It is so massive yeah. sounding and it, I'm getting a shiver up my spine thinking about it. You know, his mm -hmm. then Dio kicks it up a notch with the on a small world west of what when Dio is that kind of you can just picture him with his fist and the microphone and him striking that pose. It's just I love the lyrics in this. Uh, the guitar solo when it comes in is just so incredible. The whole sail away, fade away, fade, vanish into small. 
so great the way the dynamics in the song the yeah. way it drops down and everything and then the end of the song I, I, I you know you've heard me say this before oh, I, I love the way Dio adds these I don't know what you would call them they're not another verse they're like these tag lines that Dio yeah. likes to add at the end of songs his inflections, I guess, I guess you could call it. Yeah, he, 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 you know, at the end of it, and we'll, he does this in other songs too on this album where it'll be the end of the song. He does it like at the end of Heaven and Hell, like the, uh, 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 life is full of things who blind your eyes and steal your dreams. It's heaven and, a, yeah. you know, it's kind of like another verse, but it's different than the other verse. It's this little like coda things that he adds on and the one he does in this one is just I just love it it's one of my favorite Dio lines the eight miles high about to fall and no one there to catch you look for the sign it's like so epic man and the sound and the way the song fades out to just it I always envision like you know a ship like sailing away or something it just has such a grand it is such an amazing, awesome heavy metal song. You know, I know me and you are huge doom metal fans. This is maybe Sabbath that they're, uh, this is doom metal, Sabbath doing doom metal, you know, showing everybody unmatched by, by anyone else. So, all right, Sign of the Southern Cross. I've said enough about it. I love the song. My favorite song probably on this album. Yeah, well, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a, epic monster of a song and um and when you were talking about um the atmosphere that it builds it and like when we started talking about this album I, I mentioned that you know almost every song is represented by a song on heaven and hell or, or vice versa uh, this one is, is is closely related to in in some ways and i guess maybe maybe it's the nautical aspect of it but children of the sea side of the Southern Cross, they're kind of similar, but it's almost as though in retrospect, listening to Children of the Sea, you might think, what a great song. The riff is perfect, the melodies are, are awesome. Is there anything that could make this song better? Huh, well, you know, lyrically, it builds up a lot of interesting themes and visuals. Wouldn't it be cool if it just really elaborated on that and could get some of that imagery, some of that atmosphere across a little bit better? That's what happens here on Sign of the Southern Cross. You can really feel the atmosphere, the imagery, and Dio's lyrics are conveyed in the music. You know, there's so many times I've listened to this song and closed my eyes, and I it, oh, I always come back to the same to the same visual i always come back to like being on a ship the moon it's 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 at night the moon's in the sky it's glistening off the water the water is dark and it's it's just slowly moving you know it, it just has a kind of a murky dark heavy feel and that and those are the images that i think of when i'm listening to it and it's because it's so well conveyed in the song um, I can listen to Children of the Sea a whole bunch of times and maybe I don't always come back around to the same sort of visual, the mental picture, but with Sign of the Southern Cross, uh, it always puts me on that boat at night, seeing the moonlight on the waves, on the water, and it's like just heavy, epic, um, 
into your point about it, it being like a, a doom metal song, um, I, I guess you could consider it proto doom. There's been so many, um, it, you know, you could say that it's probably a template for, for power doom, uh, this song and it's, it's emotional uh, weight of it, you know, the imagery, everything else is just, uh, you know, it's outstanding. It, it, it's a complete, it, it's again, Another song, and we're moving right down the line here. It's 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 another perfect song. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, then that's like we said. This song fades out, and it's it's a great fade out because you you go from the creepiness of of or the you know, the intensity of sign of the Southern Cross, and then it moves into this creepy instrumental E five one five zero with these low pitched vocals, and I and I know that a lot of uh, people would. Uh, sometimes they cast off something like this is just like album filler but to me now honestly when I was younger this just really pulled me in and I did man I was just this is the type of stuff that scared me you know I, after signing the Southern <laughs> Cross then you've got this weird instrumental thing you know it's geezer doing these down-tuned bass notes that sound like a bell or something there's all these bubbling like noises like you're being pulled down into the depths of, of the earth or or something like that and it's just a uh you know so creepy and it just flows so well coming out of sign of the southern cross and then into you know the the next song here the the title track that you know for me it's not filler at all it's just it just it just adds to the atmosphere of, of the record. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine Sign of the Southern Cross just fading out and then Mob Rules just starting. It just totally wouldn't work. You E5150 just glues those two things together for me perfectly. Yeah, um, E5150, um, you know, funny story about that. You said that it was really effective. It actually scared you. I remember, um, <laughs> When I was in high school, my friend and I, he just got his driver's license and his parents let him, we went to see Rush uh, on the Power Windows tour and he, he drove the Philadelphia Spectrum and it was like his first time driving to the city. So we were, you know, we were pretty, pretty excited about that. It was just two of us going to a concert by ourselves and, you know, they went to the concert, everything was great, a good time, great concert on the way home. We were neighbors, so we, we lived in the same neighborhood. But on the way home, uh, we were listening to, you know, I had a, I had taken a few cassettes along with me for the ride. We were listening to some stuff. I don't remember, maybe Van Halen, maybe. I'm trying to think of what was in and around that time, 1985, you know, whatever whatever we were listening to. It was pretty mainstream. Um, of course, I was into more heavier stuff, but he wasn't so much. So, you know, I kind of like tailored what I what I brought along for listening material a little bit more to what I thought would be suitable for him while he was driving. Uh, so we were switching tapes and uh, I pulled out mob rules out of my pocket and put it in his cassette player. And it was right at the end of sign of the Southern cross. And we were having a conversation talking as sign of the Southern cross was, you know, winding down. And, you know, I, I guess because it was sort of fading out that the volume was turned up so that he could hear it. And as soon as, E5150 kicked in. He was like, oh my God, what is this? 
<laughs> it's Black Sabbath. He's like, man, you got to take this out. This is this is satanic. I'm gonna crash my car. This is bad luck, man. I can't drive listen to this. I'm like, it's not satanic. It's Black Sabbath. He's like, I don't care who it is, man. You got to take this out right now. So I popped it out. I just thought it was hysterical. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because because when it was and he was loud and we're like talking, all of a sudden, oh, 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 yeah, like, you know, that massive, you know, that 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 voice and everything, yeah. Yeah, and at the time I thought it was crazy, but then I, every time I hear that, I, I think about that, and it, I, I always chuckle. So many years removed from that, but E five one five O, yeah, man, I, it's like those things, those little, um, and, and this is where Sabbath started doing this. They went from, I guess, you know, the the acoustic or the or the uh, the instrumental things, and now they were like experimenting with more synth uh, related segues yeah. between songs you know and and then of course the, the album the next studio album they got even more into that but here it's like yeah i mean it, it would go you know we've gone from something like like fluff or don't start too late as as interludes to now this like dark atmospheric heavy i don't know what you want to call it cinematic you know horror movie thing going on and um to make it even more effective um the numbers like what, what does that mean you know what what is that all about and i think that well van halen of course years later had an album called 5150 i think that was if i'm not mistaken something about the uh police code for um criminally insane or yeah, something like yeah. that yeah something like that but actually that's not what it pertains to and geezer explains that it 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 represents the the word evil because you have e and then he said that the Roman numeral five is a V. One is the Roman numeral one, which could be represented as an I. And 50, Roman numeral 50 is an L. So you put those two, all those things together, and then you have the word evil, which is like, ooh. <laughs> I don't think the 12-year-old oh, yeah, me would have figured that out. <laughs> No, I don't think anybody did. You know, I, I didn't figure that until I read it. I'm like, oh, okay. Because I, for the longest time, I thought, okay, fifty-one fifty. But then it's like, what's the e doing there? What does that mean? Yeah. So that, that was. I'm curious about that. Why not just call it fifty-one fifty? Why does it have an e in front? Well, it has an e in front of it because, you know, five is v, one is fifty is l. Put it all together, evil. So anyway, so that goes into my rules and. Of course, Mob Rules, as I talked about when we first started, you know, hearing in, in the, uh, the movie Heavy Metal, being blown away by it, thinking it was really cool. Well, here it's even more. It, it was re-recorded. Um, placement is everything. The way that it comes in after E5150 just sets the stage, barrels through. You know, it, it's it's huge. It, it's like Dio's voice in the beginning, you know, the, the yell, the scream. It's just like, oh, man, total metal. One of the things that make helps make this the ultimate heavy metal album for me is this song. Um, it's a great song. It's a heavy song. Perfect title track. The only thing that I think is strange about it is the sequence of it. I mean, I I'm not sure that I could really looking at the album, the you know the songs and the sequence. I'm not sure there's really anything. I mean, there's probably some possibilities of how you could switch some things around. I love how the album starts out with "Turn Up the Night." Uh, second song voodoo of course i said you know saying my praises about that but it's so strange that 
in you know it's it's not unusual for the title track to be at the end of either side one or side two but the way that this is kind of like a rallying cry the way that it would be such a tremendous album opener um it's, it's a little bit strange that it's at the end because it kind of like gives it the album a second win where maybe it starts to wind down on sign of the southern cross and maybe that would have been a better place to end the album flip it over get on side two maybe start outside too with e5 150 in the mob rules and then continue the sequence out but here it is at the end of side one and really i mean i guess that's the only thing i can find fault with because other than that i mean we're closing out uh pretty much a perfect album side yeah, it's, it's 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 I've heard it so many times it's hard to hear it any other way at this point. Yeah. And like you said, after the intensity and the slow heaviness of Sign of the Southern Cross and then the weird creepiness of E5150, and then it just comes like blasting, barnstorming, you know, juggernaut, you know, plowing you down the mob rules, you know, it just shows that the, the, the the dynamic of the band at this point, you know, they're, they're able to do this, this heavy metal pump pummeling. Yeah. And uh, Dio is, I mean, the whole band is just great. I'm his riffs in it. I'm his solo. I love when it comes in, in the last verse, the whole break the circle and stop the movement. You know, this is, this yeah. is another, I mean, Dio has so many zones that he does so well, you know, this, this is the whole, we rock, you know, stand up and shout, like just real, you know, intense yeah. driving vibe with that sort of little bit of grit and dirt on his, on his voice. It's just, oh man, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a killer. And it's, it's not a very long song, but it just, it is a super killer, heavy, heavy rip pretty straightforward song too you know it's not yeah. there's a lot of changes in it or anything but it's just it, it the, the weight of that riff that main riff is just so like an out of control freight train that you know just <laughs> smashing everything in its path you yeah know, it's just, it's just yeah, fantastic fantastic all right then uh let's see here we are on side two and side two starts with uh country girl right which is just kind of funny this is a song that i'm not i'm not sure where or who in the history books of black sabbath that this song has sort of gotten i don't know if it was geezer that said it that like oh you know i just you know these lyrics that i wasn't too sure about the lyrics and now it's sort of some of ronnie's lyrics and they point to this song and I never understood that because I, I mean, you're just going to the song. The riff is absolutely killer. Yeah. Uh, the main riff is killer. Uh, Vinny's drums are fantastic in it. And I, I the, to me, the lyrics always made sense. It was like kind of a, you know, country girl being like an old English village, like a witch type of evil woman. How many times does Ron, Ronnie loves to sing about evil women, you know, and that lady evil and stuff like that. So this fits all right into that. And that, that whole middle section with the in dreams, I think of you. I just think it's fantastic. And, and Vinny does like that big drum fill that brings the band back in and just, uh, I, I love it. I think it's absolutely killer <coughs> killer song if i was making a deep cuts sabbath deep cuts list this this would probably be on it so i i know that this is one that sometimes gets a little bit of people 
give this song a little bit of grief and I have no idea why, because to me, it's just an absolute, it's just killer. I love it. Yeah. It, it's my second favorite song. It's mostly, well, I mean, I like everything. Everything you mentioned, I agree with uh, you know, the melodies, the, uh, the dynamics, uh, that, that soft interlude before it comes roaring back or it comes pounding back with, with Vinny's drums. Um, yeah. I mean, Country Girl. Um, it's like we talked about when we were doing our, uh, we were ranking our Sabbath albums. And I, I mentioned uh, how, it, you know, it, it's sort of ironic that you might think that the song by title would be something really subdued, and maybe kind of like on the lighter side of things, but it's actually a very heavy song. Country Girl. I mean, Dio, uh, it was always my understanding, and, I, and I, I don't remember where I read it, but I read it at least a couple times. Uh, it may have been the interpretation of one of the journalists that was writing whatever I was reading at the time, maybe Malcolm Dome. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, Dio, of course, was an Anglophile. You know, he was he was kind of an Englishman at heart, even though he's from Long Island. Um, he was, you know, really uh, into the culture, uh, history, everything about England. Um, his lyrics are always very well written. Uh, there was no slang. There was nothing to indicate that it would be, you know, an American type of uh, mindset necessarily. Um, so with with Country Girl, like you said, uh, where Sabbath is from, the black country, the you know, that area in and around England where they grew up, where they lived and the economy being what it was. Uh, a country Girl would be basically a evil woman, so to speak, you know, as they uh, chose that song by Crow for the first album here is sort of like a return to that kind of a subject matter, you know, the, uh, the evil woman um, and how it affects the protagonist in the song. Uh, Geezer's apprehension with it was, I think that he was like, he didn't really couldn't wrap his head around it being a love song. Boy meets girl, girl, you know, does something to boy. Oh, woe is me. And that's the story, uh, basically, you know, on, on the surface. The yeah, the that first the line was, that, you know, fell in love with a country girl. And maybe that first line is yeah. sort of, you know, maybe get rubbed geezer the wrong way or something. Yeah. I don't know. But the way that it unfolds, it's it's pretty dramatic and it's pretty effective and it's pretty tragic. And I think that it really actually is very suitable for uh, a Black Sabbath song in, in the context of, of things that they've done before. Certainly no different from like something like She's Gone. And that was the thing. It's like, well, Geezer almost seemed to be taking an issue with something almost unfairly. I mean, the, the, the you know, relationships, the subject of relationships gone bad or good in the case of like Sabracadabra. I mean, boy meets girl, boy, you know, girl makes boy sad, girl makes boy happy. It, it's it's a theme that's that's occurred in Savage songs since the beginning, basically, yeah. good or bad and bad and good, whatever. But um, yeah, so, but Ronnie has gone on record as saying that, and this is something I just found out recently, which is interesting uh, in light of the fact that his book just came out, it was finished by Wendy Dio, but, um, you know, Wendy was always kind of seen as Dio's wife, even long after they were divorced. And I think that they had a pretty tumultuous relationship 
when they were together. And he said that Country Girl was largely inspired by his relationship with Wendy. Uh, it, I think he started out by saying it was uh, inspired. And then he corrected himself and said, no, no, it was actually a reaction to. <laughs> wow. So it might have been you know, written from a, a biographical, autobiographical uh, vantage point of the relationship that he had with Wendy. But the way that it was conveyed, his explanation of it, it was not positive. So that's another interesting, interesting aspect of this song. But, you know, as far as the song itself goes, lyrics aside, uh, yeah, man, I love the melody. Uh, the riff is awesome. Again, you know, we've got that nice, warm Iomi tone. It's, tr it's a great riff, one of my favorite Iomi riffs. And I love it um, to start side two out with this song is cool um and like i just said in reference to mob rules could we have started outside too with e5150 uh rules and then got into country girl yeah very easily um you know i but we didn't so starting out with country girl maybe not the best solution but you know after all these years hearing it this way i'm used to it i like it it's a great song you know country girl ready to move on to slipping away yeah slipping away you know if you if you if you forced me to to pick my least favorite song on the record it would probably be it would be slipping away and the reason for that is it's the only lyrics on this record to me that just seem a little bit throwaway. like there really isn't much to these lyrics here and when you have uh, so when you have lyrics like sign of the Southern cross and, you know, we're going to get to falling off the edge of the world and even over and over and country girl, it's like, they're just absolutely stellar, you know, the great examples of, you know, imagery, imagery in, in lyric writing and just everything. And then slipping away just seems a little bit sort of from a lyrical and melody standpoint, a little bit just sort of thrown out there. It kind of feels like it was probably a jam. The guys were jamming on this and, and Ronnie just kind of threw this over the top. What does save the song for me though, is the middle section when everybody's jamming uh, with Vinny's fills and when yeah. and Iomi kicks in with his lead there and he's sort of trading on and off with, with Geezer. I think it's the Geezer has those big, big bass like a uh, little solo yeah. spots i think that that's absolutely awesome and it's a song that i like but uh it feels a little bit lyrically for me just a little bit of a letdown after we've just had so many you know uh, amazing lyrics here and even you know turn up the night isn't exactly uh you know, I'm not sure how much meaning there is be behind the words for turn up the night, but it just works a little bit better. Turn up the night works better for me than slipping away does. Slipping away just kind of feels a little bit thrown together melody and lyric wise for me, which is a little bit surprising. It, it, it feels like a jamming song, like it could have maybe have been an instrumental or something. And then they just threw lyrics over it, yeah. more of a band jam. Yeah, it does have more of a loose, jammy sound to it. And uh, the highlight for me on this one, I mean, I, I love Vinny's fills. There's a lot of reverb on the mix in general, but particularly noticeable in this song. 
especially with Vinny's drums. Maybe the reverb was just bumped up a notch on the song. But yeah, I mean, Geezer's, Geezer's bass, Geezer's out in front. You know, he's really, you know, it sounds like a fun song. It sounds like the band is in the zone. Obviously, they're comfortable with one another. That's why I think, it's one of the reasons why I think this song is kind of important. And a lot of people, I've, I've heard more often than not, people saying that this was the song that is sort of the weak link. And um, and I can see the perspective, and, and I, I understand why they think that. Um, but I think this song is kind of important because it does it is one of the it's the only song that really shows that here's how this band plays together. You know, lyrics aren't necessarily important. They do tell a little story. You know, it's it's a it's a vibe that's conveyed. There's a point to it. There's a, there's a meaning to it. It's not necessarily profound. It certainly isn't epic in any way, like some of the other songs. But, you know, they do have a purpose. The lyrics do serve a purpose. But more than anything else, I think it just really shows uh, how Geezer and Vinny work with one another. You know, Tony's got kind of like a little bit more of a, I don't know how you describe it. I don't know if you could call it funky. I don't think you could call it jazzy. It's just a unique riff. It's a little bit bouncy. It's a little bit more, um, I don't know, fun. It's, a, it's kind of a fun riff. And in turn, the band seems to be having fun playing it. So it's cool. Um, and again, when I come back to how this album kind of represents the same songs as Heaven and Hell, I mean, I guess you could equate slipping away with like a wishing well or yeah, uh, yeah, I can see or, that. You know, it's sort of similar. Sort of occupies the same, the same space there as that. Although I think, for the reasons that I just described, this is probably more, more relevant to the album uh, than like, wishing well or walk away. Um, but it does sort of occupy that that same sort of vibe. Yeah, and it's cool, like you said, it's sort of a chance for the for the guys in the band to show off their chops a little bit and to just have some fun. So, yeah, and, and, and it has a live feel to it. And they did actually play this. They ended up dropping it after a while. I think this they played it. They played this. They played. Um, uh, falling off the edge of the world, and they ended up dropping all three of those replacing it with oh and country girl country girl was was played like like you said when we started out every song was played except for over and over and over over, yeah yeah but um they actually did play it live and it it sounds like wow that would be a great song to hear live yeah and they used to go into vinnie's drum solo right they they sort of would cut it cut it a little bit short and go right into vinnie's this was vinnie's spotlight All right, so then moves into here's another epic on the record. I always kind of put this together with uh, Sign of the Southern Cross. We have Falling Off the Edge of the World. And here, Leo Dio's uh, amazing lyrics are back. I love the line at the beginning here. I think about closing the door and lately I think of it more. This is another one that has starts off really sort of atmospheric and eerie. And then that main riff sort of just jumps in at you and it picks up speed and it gets really frantic and 
kind of scary feeling to it. This riff is almost like unsettling. Uh, I don't know, great, great song. You know, this this would be maybe my third favorite song on the record. I don't know, it's it's hard. I'm doing it in my head too as as we speak. I love sort of the idea of the lyrics and just that that fast riff in it, I think is great. And I love the way Dio does the like, look out, there's danger, there's nowhere to run. You know, the way he delivers those lines is just, man, uh, it's just absolutely great. Yeah, when, when I, for the longest time, you know, the, 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 this song is, is so cool in the sense where it starts out so mellow, uh, so mellow and forlorn and, and when it kicks into that riff and everything just kind of fades back and then you could just sort of see Tony stepping up in front and just playing that riff. I, as a kid, through my teenage years and even probably into my 20s, I mean, I just couldn't wait. I would get impatient, like, oh, okay, I love everything. That happened to it. I, got the, I, I got the gist of it. I'm going to go to this, you know, I want to go to this part of the song. Um, and it actually probably isn't until like the last 15, 20 years that I've really appreciate it and I like to kind of like vamp into it now you know whereas before I was a little bit in a hurry to get to that point but now I'm kind of like yeah I want to soak it all in I want to I want to I want to hold on I want to go for the entire ride um an interesting thing about this uh is you know we, we talked about Dio being so confident assertive um and it's strange that, you know, oftentimes he does get into this thing lyrically where it, it almost seems like it's it's like he's depressed or there's some some real profound sadness or something that occupies his mind enough to manifest itself into a creative lyrical, you know, concept. Here we are with this. I mean, to me, you know, the meaning of the song is, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily say suicide. But it does kind of, you know, it, it does kind of lean that way when you, when you talk about the line, when you mentioned the line, uh, I, I lately, I, I, or I, I think about closing the door and lately I think of it more, you know, that's really, uh, that's pretty profoundly. Yeah, that's heavy. Sad. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of ironic that, that Ronnie would, would come up with something like this. Uh, you might expect it from Geezer who always seem to have more of the, the pensive, uh, you know, reserved personality. And maybe there was more going on in his mind um, that wasn't necessarily always evident. But with Ronnie, you always kind of got the impression like, you know, he's he's a pretty well-adjusted guy. But when you read something like this, you start to think, wow, I wonder, I wonder what's going on there. And it's almost surprising. Um, but certainly, uh, lyrically, it's, it's definitely, it sounds authentic. It, it, it's a great sentiment. I mean, if you've ever been in that kind of mindset, you know, where maybe a little bit depressed or maybe you've had a bad day or something in mind that's kind of got you, brought you down, this is a good place to go and have like a little bit of a misery loves company time. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and again, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a vibe that, that certainly isn't, alien to uh, Black Sabbath concepts, lyrical concepts. So it, it fits in really well. Um, I always kind of felt like he, Dio was 
you know, he always sort of sang about the evils of the world, you know, heaven and hell is, is a perfect example of that. And even in this song, you know, he, he, he sort of phrases in a way like the world is unjust. I should be at the table round, you know, a servant of the crown, the keeper of the sign to sparkle and to shine. You know, he always sort of sings about the last in line, heaven yeah. and hell, you know, the, the way that there's people who, uh, take advantage of other other how the world is unfair and this song always kind of had that that sort of classic do uh you know again you know the last in line or rock and roll children you know where the yeah. and that that's sort of he's he's singing for the for the uh for the lonely and the lost yeah yeah and it's, it's something that really resonates uh, i think with his you know i mean it, it certainly resonates more with the from a youthful mentality, uh, as an adult, maybe maybe not so much. Um, I, I can kind of look back on some of these lyrics and and hear them in the way that maybe my 17-year-old mind process process them, and I am kind of stuck in that mode. I have a hard time adapt, adapting these lyrics to my adult life, but um, Dio often would do that, and it seemed like something that would certainly resonate with a younger younger audience and it, it most certainly did i mean going to the concerts i mean I, anytime Dio came around i mean i was always there we always got tickets and it was like you know there was like there was a vibe that was conveyed in his music it was a celebration it was you know part of it was celebration part of it was like hey man i know what you guys are going through and i'm right, yeah, there right. with you and i'm pulling for you you know, right. and we're, we're all going to get through this together. We're all in this together. We rock, you know, yeah. we're the last in line, stand up and yeah. shout, you know, that kind of like yeah. and, thing and, you that know, he does really well. Yeah. And it was really essential to have that, that kind of reinforcement, you know what I mean? It, it's like, when you look back on, on those years, uh, not just talking about personally, but I mean, in general, when, when you're looking back on, on heavy metal, pretty much the rise of, of heavy metal really took place in, in the 80s. Of course, we had proto-metal before that. We had heavy rock. But metal really came into its own during the 80s. And, you know, it, 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 it perplexed a lot of people. Parents, teachers, and authority figures were sort of intimidated by it because it did have an influence over the kids. You know, it, it, it did present somewhat of a challenge for them as adults, as authority figures to, you know, get their influence because they were, we were getting influence from, from these things. And it's, it's been said, or it's been sort of uh, the attitude toward it was that it was bad and it was a, a bad influence. But I think that it was sort of the influence that we kind of needed. We didn't necessarily need somebody talking down to us. We need somebody on our level to kind of you know, let, let us know that, hey, man, I, I know what you're going through. I know what you're feeling. And like you said, we're going to get through it. But we needed, as a teenager, you wanted somebody to talk in a way that you could understand, not, not pointing the finger down, not telling you what you needed to do, but telling you they were along with you and we're all going to get through it together. And it was a way for you to bond with your friends by going to these concerts, by sharing the records by, you know, whether you're hanging out at each other's house, or you're going to a party or something like that. You know, this music and, and this heavy metal during the 80s was always the soundtrack, you know, all during this, this phase of our lives. And it was 
it was such a profound influence and it's oftentimes it's it's construed as something that was bad and and maybe in you know in some some cases maybe it did put you know people certain people down a dark path but i think by and large most of us can look back on on this era pretty fondly and think that you know man this this music got us through some of the some of the best and worst times of our lives and dia was certainly right there in the front leading the charge his lyrics resonated so well uh to our 17 18 16 17 18 year old brains yeah i totally agree with that totally agree very well said all right then the album closes out with over and over and here we're still on this sort of rainy day mood uh thing here this is this is another one i i the feel of this song is great it has this just sort of slow and like laid back sort of rainy day uh feel cold rainy day feel to it uh too many flames with too much to burn and life's only made of paper and what really stands out for this song for me is, is the fade out on it. A very reminiscent of lonely is the word and feel. Wow. And also the way lonely is the word goes out on an Iomi guitar solo. But Iomi's solo on the outro to this is just amazing. And he does this spot where he's like getting busier and busier. And it's like, and then he just like jumps up to this really high note, you know, and it's just like, he's yeah. just, it's it just building so so big and uh the way he builds that solo is just incredible it's a really fine uh you know tony iomi moment i can just sort of picture it, it sounds like he was just in a zone played it live it isn't like it was some sort of structured or worked out thing it was just coming out of him it just exploded out of him and you could just picture martin birch like that's it. There's no way we can capture that solo again. That's a totally in the moment uh, guitar solo. Really one of Iomi's uh, finest moments uh, for me there. Great fade out the way it goes. Just takes the album out, this sort of rolling. The way the vocals in the background are over and over, you know, just keeps going as this as it goes out. It's just, just uh, awesome. Love it. Yeah, you know, again, here I come back uh, to the uh, representation of uh, Songs from Heaven and Hell, and here it's like uh, over and over is kind of lonely as the word revisited, slightly different, occupies the same sort of uh, emotional place uh, on the album, and, and placement of the of the song is pretty much the same as, it is exactly the same as Lonely as the Words, last song on the album, takes the album out. Uh, but, you know, the, the emotional aspect is, is very similar. This being, and I'm not sure if it's mostly because, if it's entirely because of the production or just mostly because of the production, or maybe it's just the weight of the song, the tempo, but it's a lot heavier. And, and again, it's an improvement. If you're going to compare it to Lonely is the Word and say, well, over and over is just basically Lonely is the Word rewritten you could say well you could argue okay well all right but it's better <laughs> and better may not be fair but uh, it, it to qualify the word <clears throat> better as it pertains to what i'm to this song i i think in terms of making it heavier making it more effective it sounds very sorrowful it sounds introspective 
if to me this is a little bit more on the convincing end of this type of song then maybe lonely is the word lonely is the word is, is effective and you know, I, I believe it but this one i'm a hundred percent sure that there is conviction behind it lyrically performance there is no question about it this song is the real deal and it takes the album out perfectly um and the way that it takes it out for me just puts the whole thing it just wraps it up puts a bow on it there you have like you expect almost like an announcer to come in after the song is completely faded out ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening to <laughs> it just exit to your left yeah exit to your left be careful uh but yeah uh it, it just it, it it wraps it up so well um, it, it, the lights come on moment. in the theater and <laughs> yeah the yeah because yeah, it does it does definitely does definitely take you in the in a kind of a, on a mental voyage when you if you just close your eyes you take in dios his expressive and colorful lyrics and, and just the soundscapes that you know like we said i mean there's there's more atmosphere where it needed to be on this album uh, it wasn't necessarily sorely lacking on heaven and hell but there was a place for it uh which was a little bit absent maybe not necessarily noticeable until you hear what can be done on mob rules and then you're like eh, you know maybe this some of those songs on heaven and hell might have sounded just a little bit better if they were given the mob rules treatment with that said i think that this kind of set a precedent for for black sabbath to me i i often i compare albums that came out after this to in the production quality to to mob rules and i think and there's some that that are less than impressive when it comes to the production value and I, I and I said well you know man but maybe it's not the songs maybe it's the production maybe if you put a mob rules production on it maybe it would have been a lot better and as we get into when we do get into born again that's my biggest gripe um, but we'll, we'll get we'll get all into that I'm sure I'll probably hear it. annoy some people with my my opinion <laughs> of born again because I know people like take that album near and dear to heart but i i you know this like i said this production on this album man it just it, it sets it sets a it sets a precedence and uh you did it once why can't you do it every time you, you know <laughs> you, you know you know what works you know what sounds good i mean the only reason there would be to not try to go for this same kind of production is maybe not liking it and i never heard of any of the members necessarily being uh dissatisfied with the way that the album came out i mean uh martin birch i mean there's definitely a distinctive flavor to the way that martin produced this album i don't hear this sound on anything else that i've heard him do and i love i love the stuff he did with boc i love cultosaurus erectus i love uh, fire of unknown origin those two albums are great production wise they sound similar to Heaven and Hell, and I think Heaven and Hell and the two BOC albums that he did, I think that was sort of like, he, it was like his template. Okay, this is how I produce this kind of music. With this, he seemed to really get more involved and tried to like dig deep into ways that would make the album more effective. And from here, this is the last time that Sabbath would work with Martin Birch, which was kind of interesting um, why they would end here when it seems to be you know, ending on a really good note, but Martin would go on and, and work with Iron Maiden 
for a number of years up until I guess the nineties, right? You know, no prayer for the dark. Yeah. No fear in the dark. I think it was yeah. the last one we did, maybe. Yeah, I think. But anyway, last album we did with Sabbath, and I it's, it's strange because it seemed like they had developed a pretty, pretty uh good partnership, the band and, and Martin. I would love to have heard what he could have could do, could have done with some of those Tony Tony Martin albums. Oh yeah. yeah. Born again. But it never happened. But here it is. He did it and certainly strengthen the uh, overall effect of mob rules. It stood the test of time very well, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Darren and I, our thoughts on the legendary mob rules album. This was a great discussion on an album that we are both as if, if you've gotten this far in a podcast, you have probably put it together that we really like this record. So this was a yeah. fun discussion. We hoped everybody out there had fun listening to us. Got any final things you want to say before we wrap this up, Darren? No, not this time. I think we covered everything. I think we went into great detail about the emotional aspects. You know, when we were, I was doing some research on this and we talked about this prior to actually starting the, starting the show. There's not a lot of, there's a lot of historical tidbits. There's not a lot of factoids that, that I came across anyway. Um, things were moving along at a pretty good pace. And um, of course, there was some acrimony that developed while the album was being made, and it was ultimately resulted in Dio leaving and actually the band splitting in half. But um, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot going on in the background. I think most of what you can talk about because the album is so good is you just sort of let the music, you know, direct the discussion, and that's pretty much what we did. I think we covered it from all the different angles. At least I think I did. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, there is going to be change in the air for Black Sabbath here in their in their timeline, and we will be getting to that in our yeah. upcoming. Uh, actually, it's going to be a lot of change from <laughs> from this point yeah. out with Black Sabbath. But uh, we are fans of all eras of the band, so we are looking forward to those discussions, and we hope you will join us here for those we appreciate everybody's support out there and the messages that we get and everything so thank you to everybody out there and we will see you again really soon